sitting here thinking to myself, this is great to see all these people out here and here to uh, worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, amen? And there's nothing, there's nothing better to be doing than uh, being able to come together and worship our Lord and Savior and, and uh, honor Him um, for all of the blessings that He has bestowed on us, mainly salvation and the opportunity that we get to worship Him for the salvation that He has provided. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, we want to thank you for being here. Um, please, if you get a chance, fill out the little card in the back of the seat in front of you. And uh, we just want to know that you are here, get a record of your attendance, and um, uh, we can pray for you. There's a place for prayer requests or questions, and um, we just want to know that you are here and be able to pray uh, for you. Um, Turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to Isaiah 58. We're going to take another detour from our our current uh, study through the book of Hebrews, and... um, just hopefully this morning look at something that might be helpful for you. I appreciated Jared's reading in Ezra this morning. I pray that you'll uh, make it a point to be here each week and be able to hear that as that unfolds. It's a, a, wonderful, a wonderful narrative um, of, I mean, I just, just listening to the first chapter being read, there's so much there, and you just kind of like take it in, all the things that God was doing back in those days, and uh, it's just it's challenging, encouraging, it's um, convicting, and uh, it's, it, it was just a, a blessing to me this morning, and I pray that it was a blessing to you as well. Um, have you ever asked the question, uh, and po- probably you have, based upon the, the uh, times that we're living in today, what should I do in response to crisis? It seems like a pretty simple question. But when pressed, or maybe a better way of saying it is when put into a position of crisis, this question is not always easy to answer, is it? As a matter of fact, if we were to go around the, um, I wanted to say auditorium, but it's not really an auditorium. If we wanted to go around the alley this morning and ask, what would you do in, the, in a crisis, we would probably get a lot of different answers, wouldn't we? We probably get a lot of ways of handling it because we are in, uh, we have faced in the last several months several different crises, and, uh, and, and they don't seem to be slowing down. In many ways, they seem to be just uh, continuing, and I, I think as a Christian, it's important to know what, is, what are some things that we can do, um, ask God's people that will, that will help us in relation to crisis, and what can we do to participate, to, to help our, our world, our culture, to help each other, what can we do in these moments that's going to be helpful? So, since we're living in this time of crisis, how should we respond? If I were to tell you that there was one thing that many historically great men did, one thing that many, all, all historical People, you study the Word of God, you'll find that all historical biblical people faced a crisis of some kind, whether it be David facing Goliath or Daniel facing the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing the fiery furnace um, and, and, and others. Um, the Apostle Paul constantly being put in crisis mode where he was preaching. Um, all of these people faced crises. But if we were to, to narrow it down and to say one thing, that each one of these people 
um, participated in to help them in the crisis, and that every time it was helpful and it worked, then would we not be prone as God's people to seek to do the same thing? If I was to be able to prove to you this morning that there's something that we can do that will impact this crisis, it will impact us in this crisis, and that it has been proven true and it has been proven to work, would you be willing to, um, I'm, I'm not going to say give it a shot because that's not what we do with the Lord, but would you be willing to adopt it? Would you be willing to do it? I will submit to you that what I'm going to submit to you this morning is something that has been lost in regards to our uh, Christianity, in regards to Christianity as a whole. So let me go through a list of things here real quick just to give you a picture of what we're going to talk about. When Moses was preparing to receive the Ten Commandments, was preparing to stand before God, he did this. When David was facing his son's sickness unto death, he did this. When Daniel was concerned in the, at the end of Daniel in chapter 10 that he was not hearing the voice of God or God was not responding to his prayers, Daniel did this. When Elijah was being chased by Jezebel and her armies with his life on the line, Elijah did this. When Nehemiah hears of the ruins of Jerusalem and, and, and gets a picture explained to him of, of the disaster that is his, his homeland and his home people, Nehemiah does this. When Esther puts her life on the line to protect God's people, Esther and all of the Jewish people do this. When the disciples are unable to cast out a demon in a, in a young boy, Jesus Christ tells them to do this. When Jesus faces Satan face to face, the greatest temptation that mankind would ever face is the temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness. When Jesus faced this temptation and this challenge, Jesus did this. When the disciples were choosing a replacement for Judas, who had betrayed Christ, the disciples did this. All throughout Scripture, many have discovered, many have benefited or found help when needing provision, protection, wisdom, discernment, strength, or, 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 or when they discovered help in these areas, they've discovered strength when experiencing relational problems, physical illness, financial difficulties, and they've experienced hope when confronted with anxiety, fear, discouragement, depression, disappointment, and mourning. These are just a few of the events that as you look through Scripture, you will find that this is a, a means, if you will, a, a part of the process of, of victory. It's not necessarily the means to victory, but it is a part of the process to victory. So if this thing that I'm about to tell you, you probably know what it is already. I know some of you do because I talked to some of you about it already yesterday. So you're sitting there like, oh, we already know what it is. So don't, don't spout it out yet. If it's good enough for our Lord Jesus Christ to employ in times of crisis, if it's good enough for Old Testament prophets to employ during times of crisis, if it's good enough for the disciples in the New Testament to employ in times of crisis, wouldn't you say it would be good enough for us as God's people to employ in times of crisis. Would we say amen to that? Amen. amen. Okay, good. So, 
you might ask, what is so powerful that all of these biblical people, all of these Bible characters employed during their times of crisis? The answer is fasting. Fasting is the one thing that is consistent throughout each and every one of these events and consistent with most all of the characters of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. You might even not be familiar with fasting. It's not something that we often talk about. It's not something that we, we understand a lot about. But we see it consistently throughout the Word of God. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Let me give you a few facts about fasting before we're, we're going to un, unfold Isaiah 58, which really is just, um, it's just, I think, the best definition, if you will, of what fasting looks like, what fasting is. Because I think that we can learn from it. I think that we can apply it into our situation that our world is in right now, our culture, our town, our city, our church. I think we can, we can apply this to these things. So fasting, d- defined, is a willful, deliberate act of, of abstaining from food and or drink. Okay, so... Um, some have taken fasting and they've kind of broadened the scope of it where they are maybe fasting from entertainment or fasting from, from some other um, device that is, is hindering them. But biblically speaking, fasting was specifically related to not eating food or not, eating, not, not drinking any drink. And the type of fast that pr- people did in the Bible were they varied um, if it was a long fast, it might include uh, eating um, only certain foods. It might include not eating food at all, but, not, but drinking something, because obviously you couldn't live long without having some drink, some water in your system. So depending on the length of the fast, um, determined what type of fast a person did. Now, also biblically, depending on the, um, the difficulty of the circumstance or the uh, the seriousness of the circumstances, fasting became more important and more serious as well. Uh, Jesus Christ fasted for 40 days when he faced the temptation in the garden. That is the maximum fast in the scriptures. There's no fast that's longer than 40 days. Uh, there were three different times that that fast was, was performed, and it was in each case they were called to, there was a very serious situation, they were called to that fast. But fasting, so fasting is the, um, is the forsaking of food for a period of time. And, and let, me, let me make this comment as well. It is, fasting is spiritual. And we do, we have, we have today a, a new thing called intermittent fasting. And, um, and it's a good thing. I've, I've, I've heard a lot of good things about it. People do it to lose weight. People do it to get healthy. But that is not the fast that the Word of God is speaking about. This is a spiritual fasting. The, the term um, used in Isaiah 58, also in Leviticus 16.29, for those of you who would like to uh, write that down, is the idea of afflicting your soul. It's, the, it's, it's, to, it's to willfully put yourself through some affliction. When we think about some afflictions in the Bible, imagine Daniel in the lion's den, that was affliction. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace, that was an affliction. But most of these afflictions were put on to God's people, right, by, by other evil people. When you think of fasting, it is putting affliction on yourself. 
It is afflicting yourself. That's what the word means. It means to afflict your soul. Um, the best way that you can illustrate fasting, if you were to think about a picture of fasting, just picture somebody taking a nice big piece of black duct, duct tape and putting it over their mouth. Okay, that's really the picture that is descriptive. The best description I could give, the best illustration is if you could see somebody with a black piece of tape over their mouth, they are refusing. Um, you know, we, we might say some people need to do that because of what comes out of their mouth. But in this case, fasting is meant to keep things from going into your mouth. Another picture would be maybe somebody with a zipper on their lips and there's a lock on the end and they willingly close that lock. They, they, they willingly... Um, refuse to put food or drink uh, or both into their mouth for a period of time. Okay, I want you to remember this as well. Fasting is a companion. Fasting is a companion, not a substitute or the same thing as prayer. Fasting is a companion of prayer. It's not the same thing as prayer. People want to make that they make the wrong, um, they make, the wrong application, and then when they say that they're fasting, they say that it, that is their prayer. That's not the same as prayer. You will find it in the scriptures as a companion of prayer, but it's not prayer itself. We want to make sure that we make that distinction. Andrew Benars uh, describes it this way: fasting is is abstaining from anything that would hinder your prayer. Anything that would stand in the way of your prayer. And I think that's a good definition, although when we look, we'll go through Isaiah 58 here in a moment and we'll unfold what Isaiah, how Isaiah describes fasting. Fasting is seasonal, depending on how aggressive your, the fast that you have chosen is. If you choose not to, fat, not to eat or drink, your, your fast will probably be shorter. If you choose not to eat, your fast might be, um, and, but drink, your fast might be longer. Maybe you choose to fast from a certain type of food, then your fast could even be longer. But, but ultimately, you are afflicting your own soul by choosing to not take in something that is pleasurable to you. And I'm going to explain why here at the end. Fasting is seasonal depending on how aggressive the fast you have chosen. In the Bible, there are several different links. There are one-day fasts, there are three-day fasts, seven-day fasts. 10-day fast, 14-day fast, 21-day fast, and then 40-day fast. And only, only three times do we have the 40-day fast because it is an extreme fast. Uh, it, it is uh, a serious situation that's taking place. So with that as some background, I want to I read Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 10. And then uh, just unfold it. It really, it really uh, teaches us so much about, about the fast. What is a, a right type of fast? What is a wrong type of fast? And, and then um, perhaps just challenge you this morning as we leave to, to, um, to, to seek to implement this back into your life. To see a way for this to come back into your world, that it becomes a part of your Christianity. Again, if it was a part of Jesus' life, if it was a part of the disciples' life, if it was a part of the prophet's life, then should it not be a part of our lives? And so let's, let's read it together, or follow along with me. I'll read uh, 58 verse 1. The Bible says, Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob their sins. 
And just real quick, you'll notice that it uses the term house of Jacob here versus Israel. Jacob was um, Israel. Um, Jacob's name was changed to Israel after his conversion. But you'll find that um, oftentimes when, when you're referring to Israel in their uh, rebellious state, you'll have Jacob as the term that's used to describe them. In other words, he's describing Jacob before conversion. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was born uh, right from the womb, grabbing onto his brother's heel to prevent him from being the firstborn, to, to, to grab on. It was this deception that would begin from that moment, and it would carry on through his life until the point where he's converted, and then he becomes known as Israel. So when you see this term used, the house of Jacob, he's referring to Israel in their rebellious state in their deceptive state. He goes on to say, yet they, seek me, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness. It did not forsake the judgments of their God. They ask me righteous judgment. They delight to, to draw near to me. And just stop there and meditate for a moment. Notice what's happening is you, if you wanted to circle two words in this verse, it would be as if. As if. In other words, they're doing these things in an outward way as if something is true about them in the heart. But what we will discover is the, the, the heart is not there, just the externals are there. In other words, in, to modernize it, I go to church as if I'm spiritual. Or I put money in the offering plate as if I'm walking with the Lord. Does that, does that make sense? That's what he's saying here. It's like you're, you're doing these things as if something is true about you, but the problem is, is that this is really not true about you. You're really not walking with the Lord. You're really not experiencing what you claim to be experiencing by your actions. Verse 3, he says, Why have we fasted and you see us not? Why have we humbled ourselves and that's the same phrase used to describe afflicting your souls. Why have we fasted? Why have we afflicted our souls? And you do not acknowledge it. Behold, the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasures and oppress all your workers. Behold, your fast, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to, and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to afflict himself or humble himself? It is, not, it is to bow down his head like a reed or to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? In verse 5, he, he he comes right at it and says, you, you're, going to, you're going to call this a fast? And he's just describing, he's, he's kind of concluding these first four verses. And then he goes on in verse number five. And the way that this text is structured is verses five and six are the central theme. There's two types of fast being mentioned here. One is a wrong type of fast and one is a right type of fast. And we're going to look at both of those here in just a moment. The Bible says in verse number six, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bands or the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry 
and to bring the homeless poor into the house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. And we would say to the middle of that, we would say amen to that. We need that, don't we? Then your healing will spring forth speedily. And it's not when we fast that this happens, but it's the fruit of our fast. When we, when we grasp what he says in verse 6 and 7, then our healing will take place. It, it is what he says in Chronicles where he says, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their lands. It says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. Here's where prayer comes in. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness. And just notice that, and I'm maybe getting a little bit ahead of myself, but just notice that the Lord will hear our prayers. The Lord will answer them. The Lord will be there for us. If we take the yoke away from our midst, the pointing of the fingers and the speaking of wickedness. We, don't, we live there today, don't we? We live in the pointing of the fingers and the speaking of wickedness. We live it out. And we wonder sometimes why the Lord doesn't hear our prayers. He goes on to say, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noon day. Let's go back to verse number five, and I'm just going to work through this. And the way, that it, the way that it flows is verse five and six go together, verse four and seven go together, verse two and verse three and eight go together, verse two and nine go together, verse one and ten go together. And you'll see as you read those, you'll see on one end of the spectrum, if you go down this path in your fasting or in your, in your sacrificing of, of self, things for self, you will end up here. If you go down this path, then you will end up here. You'll see good results or you'll see bad results. So that's how this, this text flows. So let's look at what are some things that are, that are associated with an inappropriate fast. What, is, um, what are some things characterizing an inappropriate f- fast? Verse number five, it says, It's such a fast that I choose a day for people to humble themselves, to bow his head like a reed, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? The first thing that we see about an unacceptable fast is that it is a fast that seeks the attention of others. In other words, it is a fast that is pursuing other people's praise. Maybe, maybe a person wants to be seen as godly. Maybe a person wants to be seen as holy. Maybe a person wants to be seen in a certain light amongst those people who are around them. So they do certain things, spiritual things, to be seen in that light. And, and this is not what the Lord is calling us to. This is not what the Lord desires of us. This is not the appropriate fast, but it is the inappropriate fast. The afflicting of our souls for attention. 
the bowing of our heads for attention, the spreading of sackcloth and ashes for the sake of getting attention. This is not the fast that the Lord has called us to, but rather the Lord calls us to a different kind of fast. The Lord calls us to the fast mentioned in the following verse that we'll look at here in a moment. Matthew 6 tells us about fasting, speaks to us about uh, fasting. In verse 16, the Bible says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Okay, does that sound familiar to what he just says over here in Isaiah 58? The bowing of the head, the, the, um, the uh, uh, humbling or, or uh, hindering of self. He goes on to say, um, For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And other versions say that will reward you openly. So we see in this fast over here in Isaiah 58, the first thing that we see that's not right about it is it's meant to, it's meant to get attention. It's meant to be seen by others. It's meant to be praised by men. It is a, a fast or an affliction of the soul that we want people to say, man, that must be a really godly person. That must be a, a really good person. This is an inappropriate type of fast. Watch what he says in verse number 4. Behold, your fast, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. What is, the, what is, the, what is Isaiah saying about the fast secondly? He's saying that your fast or their fast is, is meant to get them an upper hand with God. It's meant to earn them favor. Uh, the idea of, of fasting so that we might win. Fasting so that we might defeat our enemies. Fasting so that we might advance in battle. This is not the fasting of the Lord. We fast sometimes because we want to earn God's favor. We want to, to, to get ahead. And so we feel like if we do this fast, if we, if we abuse ourselves, the, the, um, the prophets of Baal, when they went up against Elijah... They were cutting themselves. They were doing this type of a thing. If, if, we, if we can hinder or abuse ourselves, then, then God will we'll get God's attention. If we get God's attention, then everything's going to be okay, and we're going to win, or we're going to get that job, or we're going to defeat that enemy, or, or this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. So what, what do we do? We, we afflict ourselves with the mindset of getting ahead of somebody else. And he says it very clearly at the end of this verse that you will, your voice will not be heard to God. Your voice will not be heard to God. So they even connect it here, even on the negative side, they connect prayer and fasting together. But the heart of the fast is never, it's, the heart of a true fast is never meant for us to get ahead. It's never meant for us to get ahead. It's never meant for us to beat somebody else. It's never meant for us to win. That's not the fast that the Lord has called us to. Watch as we go on in verse number three. Why have we fasted and you do not see? What is, he, what is he asking? Not only is people not noticing this person's fast, but God is not noticing this person's fast. God is not paying attention to it. God is not, God is not impressed by it. 
God is not excited by their sacrifice for themselves trying to get God's attention or trying to get God's favor. We are fasting, Lord, but why don't you see it? We are afflicting ourselves, but you don't take any acknowledgement. You don't acknowledge it at all. You can kind of see this, this idea, this, this, this heart here of somebody saying, we're doing all of this self-affliction for you, Lord, and you're not, you're not noticing us. You're not responding to what we are sacrificing for you. Because this is not the, this is not the fast that the Lord is calling us to. He goes on in verse number 2. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. And if they were a nation that did, as if they were a nation that did righteousness, they did not forsake the judgments of their God. And they ask me, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to know to draw near to God. And the emphasis of verse number two is a fast that is hypocritical. It's a fast that's not met. It's not. It's not a heart fast. It's not a heart condition. But it is more of an, an external. Um, seeking the praise of men, seeking the recognition of God, seeking to be noticed as spiritual. And folks, the part that, the, the, the greatest concern, and it's not just with fasting, but it's really with all facets of the Christian life. When our Christian life is meant to get some response from mankind, or it's meant to get some response from God, it could really be a false Christianity, it could simply be a selfish man who wants to get his own way and sees God as a means to get his own way. Listen, the Christian life is about the glory of our God. It's about exalting Christ above all other things. And when we, and when we pursue Christianity with a selfish motivation and a selfish mentality, God doesn't notice. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't produce things out of that that might seem productive or successful, but God doesn't notice. God doesn't pay attention to those things. Matter of fact, he tells us in verse number one, if we go back one more verse, what happens in the end of this story if we're to go backwards? Go ahead, Chip. Come up here and get that. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate that. What happens at the end of this, of this type of a fast? Verse number one, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voices like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgressions. In the end, it's just, the, it's just what, what, what do people see in the end? What do people see in the end of a hypocrite? They see their sins, don't they? They see their hypocrisy is always going to be exposed. It always ends up coming out in the end. Those who seek to pursue this external, this, this, uh, this selfish righteousness, if you will, will ultimately in the end be exposed. This is not the type of sacrifice or, or um, fast that the Lord calls us to. It's not what he's looking for. What is the fast that he wants from us? Let's look at verse number 6. We'll go back the other way and we'll look at the positive aspects of fasting. He says, is not this the fast that I choose? So in, in other words, in, in both cases, the word choose means desire. The Lord is saying to the people of Israel, and this is a prophecy of coming judgment. The Lord is saying to them, this is the fast that I desire. This is the fast that I am looking for. And we would agree, I think, as a body, that we're either under God's judgment as a country or we're on our way to it. 
We're on our way to it or under it right now. And if that is the case, then this is the fast that the Lord requires of us. This is what the Lord desires from his people in this moment. If we truly see this, if we see this moment as a crucial transitional moment for our world and our culture and our country, if we truly see this as a pivotal moment, this is the fast that the Lord requires of us. This is it. And he just really, he goes right into it. In verse number six, it is a fast to loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Here's what he says here. The first principle that is related to the fast that God requires is a fast that is self-exposing. It is a fast of self-introspection. It's a fast of honesty and integrity. It's a fast of repentance. It's a fast of recognizing that we have sinned and fallen. It's literally the opposite of the fast that goes on in the first verses where people are seeking the praise of men. This fast that the Lord calls us to is a fast where we fall on our knees before God. We fall on our knees before God and we acknowledge that there are sins in our lives, in our life. There are yokes in our life. There is oppression in our life. There, is, there are bondages in our life. It is this fast that brings us to the reality of where we're at. It is the fast that causes us to realize how powerful this this flesh is and how much it puts us into bondage. Try not to eat for a day. Try not to eat for a week. What you will notice very quickly is that your flesh is powerful. And this is what the fast the Lord calls us to is, is is to afflict your, afflict your body, afflict your soul, so that you might come back to reality. You might see where you're at, that you might understand the bondages that we are in as a culture and as a people, that we might understand the yokes that we're experiencing, the oppression that we're under, the bondages that we're facing. This is the fast that God has called us to. It is a fast that calls us to seeing ourselves for who we are, and recognizing what we need. He says that we fast to begin with to expose or to see self, to loosen that sin and temptation and fleshly power, to undo the yokes or burdens we are under, to set us free from oppression and depression. Oppression is the same thing as depression here. Loosen, loosen um, in, the, in the first part of that verse Uh, loosening the bonds of wickedness is the same thing as temptation or the flesh. Setting free from oppression is the same thing as, as depression. Tearing off the weights and the sins is the last part. Taking off every yoke. What he's saying is, is oppress your soul to get rid of your flesh. Your flesh is what's hindering you from, from really reaching out and touching God. You've got to get back to a place where you see where you are and what you need and fall down on your knees and plead with God for mercy and grace. It is the pride of our hearts. It is the selfishness of our flesh that causes us to come before God and not get his attention. This is not meant, this fast is not meant to get God's attention. It's meant to get your attention. It's meant to get your attention. Your fast is meant to yell to you what you need and how much of it you need. 
Your fast is meant to show you who you are, why, you, why you're not acceptable before God. Your, your, your fasting is meant to expose all of this stuff, and fasting is impossible to do. It's so hard. Go, go tomorrow and say, I'm not going to eat all day. By the end of the day, you will know something about yourself. And go a week, and you'll know a lot about yourself. What the Lord needs from us, if we're going to come to him in prayer and truly find deliverance and find help is he needs us to know who we are he needs us to know where we're at he needs us to know what we need and then we will find that help we're not we're not earning his favor we're recognizing that we can't earn his favor but slowly as you fast this is what he's saying here slowly as you afflict your body and you fast slowly these chains will start to fall off of you the chain, of, the chain of addiction will start to fall off of you. Your flesh will not, once you win over that, it will no longer have power over you. The chains of depression, the chains of burdens and yokes that you carry. You, you guys have seen the picture of somebody who comes to the cross and they're carrying this big burden, right? It's, I think it comes from Pilgrim's Progress, right? Man, you get to the cross and what happens to that big old burden? What happens to it? It falls off, doesn't it? And may I submit to you that for many, it doesn't fall off. For many, they come to the cross with self-righteousness and, 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 and self-abilities, and they carry that burden right away with them. And they go through life trying to impress God. And they go through life trying to look good in the sight of others and trying to seem religious, but they're still carrying their burden. What he's saying is, is afflicting your soul. will it, It's not the solution, but it's a help to get you to where you need to be so that you can touch the hem of his garments so that when you can pray, it will be effective. It's a fast that is meant to expose who we are and then for us to rid ourselves of it. Hebrews 12 and verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely to us. Let's... Here's a help for that. Here's a tool that you have, fasting, that will help you loosen those bonds of sin and weights. And let us run with, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Remember this, fasting is not meant to get God's attention. Fasting is meant to get your attention. Fasting is meant to put you in a place where you can come before God and seek His favor in prayer it's not the means of God's favor in prayer. It is the, is the preparing of your heart to seek God's favor in prayer. There are things this morning that are clinging to you. You know that. There are things that are clinging to you this morning. They, are, they might be sin. They might be discouragement or depression. They might be yokes of burdens that you've been carrying for years and you don't know why. You just have no connection. You have no connection. It's like you pick up your phone and it says this number is disconnected. It's not because God is not there. It's not because God does not care. It's not because God is not available. It's because you're not ready for God. You're not ready to hear his voice. If you hear his voice, it will build you up in greater pride and self-righteousness. Fasting prepares us to meet with God. 
And in every case in these situations, that was exactly what was going on, was fasting, preparing to meet with God. Let's go on. Fasting that exposes self. Verse 7, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Number two, fasting that encourages compassion. Fasting not only that helps us see who we are, but helps us experience what other people are going through. Right? I I doubt there's many people in this room that have gone many days without the ability to eat something. Did you know that there are people in the world that go days without being able to eat things? Did you know that? Did you know that there are people who sit in places and have absolutely no access to food and no, abil- and, no, and no way to get it. And they go days without eating things. I remember, I'd share a story with you. I remember a couple of guys, they were, um, they were pastors in a certain area and they were, felt God calling them to the homeless community. So what they did is for a year, they committed themselves to being homeless they, they, were, they were not poor people, but they, they told their wives and their families, this is what we're going to do. We are going to live with the poor people for a year. There's a book out there. I don't really, off the top of my head, know what it's called, but, but there's a book out there where they write a book about the way that they, those people, the, the suffering that they go through. Do you know what happened? They put themselves in their shoes that they might understand them. Here's what he says here. A fast that exposes you is going to also be a fast that causes you to have a compassion on other people, to have a heart for other people. This is what the Lord calls us to anyway. The Lord calls us, the ministry that the Lord calls us to is a ministry of of helping those who are poor, those who are destitute. So the fast exposes us, but the the fast also helps us to be compassionate towards others, causes us to, to care about others, causes us to be concerned about others. Go on. Is not this a fast that I choose? Verse verse 7, is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? I mean, you just think about those things. Do we do those things? Do we even consider those things? Do we even understand those things? Do we comprehend those things? This is what the Lord says in the, in the moment where he is calling, he is, he, is, he is prophesying of coming judgment. He says, this is, what I, this is what I'm calling you to. Man, if you could almost say, there's one last opportunity, then this is it. One last opportunity, this is it. Be repentant, be humble, be giving, be sacrificial. When you fast, it gives you an opportunity to give the food that you would have eaten to somebody else, right? You have more to give when you are not taking it in yourself. Let's go on. Verse 8, then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. This is a really, really powerful verse of Scripture that deals with the, the transition that we go through spiritually as we, as we 
as we deprive ourselves physically, as we win over the flesh, we experience extraordinary victories over the flesh, which ultimately lead to great victories in the spirit. Our influence, our light is spread. It goes forth broad like the dawn. Our healing springs forth speedily. Our righteousness goes before us, and the glory of God shall be our rear guard. Verse number nine, then I shall call, then you shall call. This is prayer, and the Lord will answer, right? Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. Why? Because you're prepared. Prepared to hear from the Lord. You're prepared to hear his voice. You have been, you have been humbled. You have been brought low. You have been repentant. You have been all of these things. You have been brought into a situation, a condition where you can hear God's voice well. It's not, never about God. It's always about you. And our flesh gets in our way more times than we know. And fasting is a means by which we remove the flesh from the way. And then we hear the voice of God. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of your fingers and the speaking of wickedness. The Lord hears, the Lord answers. The Lord is there, present with us. It's almost like you can picture a kid, a child, in a difficult situation, crying out for their parent, or maybe at night they're having a really bad dream, and they cry out, and the parent says, it's okay, I'm, I'm right here. That's the picture that you get here in this verse of Scripture. Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing of your fingers and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will be as the noonday. These are fruits, if you will. Verse 9 and 10 are just fruits of the impact, the effect, if you will, of somebody who has been humbled in their flesh by fasting. These are, these are outcomes of this the freedom that we experience, the glory of God that we experience, the yoke being released that we experience, the helping of the afflicted, the light, our light shining forth, and the gloom, meaning the gloomiest part of our day. I mean, would anybody look at the sky right now and call it gloomy? Anybody would call this gloomy? That's what it's saying here is the gloomy part of somebody who has faced this type of fast is like the noonday. It's like the brightest part of the day. This is what, this is what we need, folks. It's not, we don't need the change in our culture. We don't need God to change. We need to change. We need to be brought to where we need to be so that we see things rightly so that we see things differently. The problem isn't what's going on. It's been going on ever since the creation of the world. Is that true? What we are experiencing has been going on since the creation of the world. Nothing has changed. What has changed is our perspective. 
What has changed is what we see. What has changed is what we feel. What has changed is what we think is important. What has changed is what matters. We need to get down, as, as Isaiah warns us and tells us, to have a, a, a fast that, that is recognizing these things, that deals with, with me, that brings me to a place where I can hear God again, where I can see God again, where I can experience God again. I, I was sharing with someone this morning, the end of Job's life was was such where he went through extraordinary... We would call Job a guy who had his flesh dealt with, right? His flesh was dealt with. And he ends up at the end of his story, at the end of, his, of, his, of the book of the Bible written about him, he, he who had heard of God now sees God. That's kind of the end of the story. Job who had heard of God now sees him. There's something that changed. It wasn't changed about God. What had changed was it changed about Job. And what it cost to change Job was much. And maybe God is working in our hearts today. Maybe God is working in your heart to set you free, to set me free from me so that I might see him and know him. I want to just challenge you with that this morning and encourage you that this idea of fasting as we enter into or are in a season of crisis, and as we are facing different challenges and different things, might you consider this idea, might we, we consider this biblical reality of fasting? Not so that we can get God's attention, not so that we can get God's favor, not so that we can get God's help, but so that we can be impacted so that we can be changed, so that we can be prepared when God does speak to us that we are ready to hear him. This is what we need. At the end of the day, we are planning to do a church-wide fast. And I want, I want to call you, as the church body, into this fast with us. We're going to be fasting the month of August. We're going to call it August Fast. And we're going to fast. We're going to have somebody, we're going, our plan is and our prayer is, is that somebody in this body will be fasting every day in the month of August. So the month of August will be a church-wide fast. And our goal is that we, we go before the Lord, not seeking his favor, not seeking his blessing, but seeking a, 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 a newfound vision of self so that we can have a newfound appreciation for God to be humble before him and to see the fruits of these things. So I say that to say this, there will be an email sent out this week, and uh, we will be, uh, it's going to be a, in calendar form. And what we're asking of the church body to do is to commit to a day, maybe two days, whatever you feel comfortable doing, to commit to a fast for that day and to not eat. Um, and, and, and we'll go with eat, not, you can drink whatever, water, or, but, but a fast for that day. And maybe you want to do two days and you can sign up for that. It doesn't matter how many people are signing up for each day. Our heart's desire is, is that every day would be full, that there wouldn't be any day. So if nobody signs up, I'll be really skinny at the end of the month. Okay. So please don't do that to me, although it will be very good for me. I don't know if I will, I don't know how I will hold up. We want to, we want you guys, this is, this is one body, right? We want to bring you in. 
we want to, you to join us in this, that we, that we can, as a church, get on our knees before God. And um, the Bible says, a fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I think that sometimes to get there, we have to go through something, right? And I think this might be that something. It seemed to be that something in the Bible, so why wouldn't it be that something for us? So you'll be getting an email this week with a calendar on it. All we want you to do is sign your name and then commit to 24 hours of not eating and, uh, and, 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 and joining us in that process. And the month of August will be full of that for, from this church body. And uh, this is not an addition. This is not in a. Um, this is not in replacement for your prayer life. Well, hopefully, it'll add to it. Hopefully, you'll you'll need it. <laughs> you need. It's funny how much you need your prayer life when you try not to eat for a day. <laughs> how much you need God to 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 help you. And so it, it'll be challenging, but we really want you to join us. And this is also a great way to be encouraging each other. Don't hesitate to look on that calendar and see. Hey, I think. I think uh, this person is going to be fasting today. I bet it's going to be challenging for them. Let me give them a call. Let me encourage them in some way because it's not going to be. Maybe you fast one day and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is really, really horrible. Tomorrow, whoever's fasting, I'm calling them and encouraging them. It's how it works. We're all going to go through the same thing together, and it's going to impact us all differently. But, but um, I think we just need to get where God wants us. In, 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 in our minds, in our hearts, in our bodies, that we're ready. When, God, when God's timing and his ways and he says, here's what I want, we're ready to do it. We're ready to move. And the flesh is going to be the one thing that gets in the way. And so let us, let us take this, let us take this. And when you fast on a, on a given day, the food, the meals that you were going to eat, take them to somebody else's house. I mean, this is a practical application when you fast, recognize the power of your flesh and that your desire for food is the same thing that, deals, that you're dealing with with addiction. And you have to say no to your flesh to not eat for a day, but you have to say no to your flesh to not give in to your addictions. True, isn't it? The oppression that you feel, the depression that you feel, the burdens that you carry, you have to say no to yourself. And fasting is a way to teach us that. It's actually a self-imposed way to teach us self-discipline to not be given into the flesh. So, so, so fasting for a day, if you want to take your food to someone else's house, as it says here, go give it, to, give it to someone who's homeless or poor, whatever you can do. Be a blessing to somebody. Don't let it be selfish. Let it be selfless. Let it be everything that the Lord calls us to. And then let's just trust the Lord. It's in his hands. Remember, this fasting doesn't, fasting doesn't merit you anything. Okay? Fasting doesn't earn you anything. It's not the purpose of it. I'm not going into a fast because I want to get something from God. I'm going to a fast because I need, I need to be in a position where I can hear God. When I'm not, something is in the way. And it's me. And fasting will help us. With that, all we want to do is help you in August, August fast, right? But you've got, to, you've got to commit to going further. Not stopping with August, but maybe committing to once a month or maybe committing to once a quarter or maybe whatever. What, what level do you want to go to with God? 
What level do you want to go to? So that's my challenge to you. That's my encouragement to you this morning. And um, we will be getting an email out soon. We'll, everybody that's online right now, you'll get that email as well. And um, just uh, please uh, join us in this, in this journey. Let's pray together real quick. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for giving us this example in your word. And um, really, it's an it's a opportunity for us to, to evaluate ourselves, to see where we're at, to see the power of the flesh, to see the, um, our need to just be in constant communion with you, needing your help, needing your grace, needing your forgiveness, needing your mercy, just needing you each and every moment. And so I just pray that you would bless this October fa- August fast and also that you will bless the idea of fasting. Help us all to accept the reality that we are in the last days and that we need you, we need your presence, we need your power, we need your, we need you to be here with us in this time more than ever. And we just pray that you will give us a a perspective that is right and biblical. We'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to take the Lord's Supper now. Um, fasting. Yeah, fasting. Start your fast, and we're going to start the fast in August. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I just want to read a couple of passages to you about the Lord's Supper. I want to read out of John chapter number five. John, let's go to Romans. If you want to turn there with me, you're welcome to. Um. I, I want you guys to know, and I think most of us here have been in the church uh, for some time, but um, I just want us to know the gospel, to know that um, there's this free gift of salvation, this free gift that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we, that we do nothing to merit, to obtain, that we, we don't have to, to earn God's favor that there is this free offering, this free gift that is given to all those who believe. And that free gift is forgiveness. It is justification, which means being counted innocent by God based upon the merits of Christ. And it's, it's so, the gospel is so simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yet it is so complex because we in humanity can't accept something so simple. Does that make sense? What makes the gospel so difficult is that it's so simple. We want to earn it. We want to do something to merit it. We want to, to, to uh, we just want to feel like we've participated in it. And the gospel has nothing to do with our participation. The one thing that we bring into the gospel situation is sin. And Jesus brings everything else into it. We bring undeservedness. Jesus brings forgiveness. We bring, we bring frailties and foolishness. Jesus brings forgiveness and salvation. So let me just read, if you guys want to join me, in Romans 5, um, verses 6 down to verse 11. The Bible says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. So Christ died not for good people, but for ungodly people. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God showed his love towards us 
in that while we were still in sins, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified or claimed innocent by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So we ask the question, how are we re- when you talk about reconciled, how are we restored into the right relationship with God? The answer is, is there's one means by which a person is restored to the right relationship with God, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only way that a person can be restored to, the, to a relationship with God. And listen to what he says here, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass, For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift followed many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Would you say that he emphasizes free gift pretty strongly here? It's pretty strong, isn't it? It's a free gift. It's not something that you work for. It's not something that you merit. It's not something that you earn. It is a free gift. And it is given freely. It was purchased by Jesus Christ's blood. And it is given freely to all of those who do what? All those who believe. Not all those who do good deeds. Not all those who go to church. Not all those who are righteous in their own eyes. Not all those who put money in the offering plate. The Bible says that this free gift of righteousness is given to all those who believe. Believing is the basis, it is the foundation of our salvation. It is trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ has accomplished, has satisfied God's wrath fully on behalf of all of those that believe. And all he calls us to is to trusting in him. He's done everything necessary for us to be saved. He calls us to trust him. Listen to what he says in the book of John in John chapter number 3, a very familiar passage of Scripture, but a very, a very powerful and important passage of Scripture as well. In John chapter number 3, in verse number 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. How long is eternal? Forever. If I say to somebody that you're going to have eternal life if you do this, if you believe, how long will that life, life last? If I take it away from them tomorrow, is that eternal life? They have eternal life. It is forever. John 10 tells us that, that those who have eternal life will never perish. The Bible says in verse 17, But God did not send His Son into this world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. 
Now listen to me, if you believe on Jesus Christ salvifically, meaning that you repent of your sins and you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you are one day condemned, that would make God a what? It would make God a what? It would make God a liar. Is God a liar? God is not a liar. When he says those who believe in Jesus Christ will not be condemned, he is making a promise to all those who believe in Jesus Christ that they will not be condemned. He says, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Why are people condemned? Because they don't believe. Why are people not condemned? Because they believe in Jesus Christ. That's the basis of it. It's so important to get that. If you're sitting here today and you believe that some way, shape, or form you're going to earn God's acceptance into heaven based upon something other than simply believing in Jesus Christ, you have been deceived. There is no other way into the kingdom of God except through Jesus Christ. And those who have faith in Jesus Christ can be assured with confidence that Jesus Christ's blood was sufficient. And if they have placed their faith in him, they can be assured of eternal salvation. There's nothing more fearful for me than to have the thought that there could be somebody who's sitting underneath my preaching and that they have the wrong idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They believe that it's coming through some other way. Listen to me, folks. There is no one who is sinless, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody who is not condemned. The wages of sin is death. And there's nobody to whom the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ cannot impact. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The issue is, are you willing to come to God through Jesus Christ this morning? Are you willing to embrace that He is enough? I want to read one last uh, scripture to you out of the book of 1 John. I want you to think about this with me. The Bible says in 1 John, at the end of this book, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. It doesn't get any simpler than that, does it? Whoever has Jesus has life. And who has Jesus? Those who what? Those who believe have Jesus. Those who believe have Jesus, and because they have Jesus, they have life, right? Now listen to me. This isn't the end. Whoever, let's, let's see here. He says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. I write these things to you who believe in the character. This is what he's saying. I write these things to you who believe in the character of Christ, that he died for your sins, that he died for your sins as the Son of God, that his payment for your sins was sufficient to pay for every sin past, present and future. 
This is trusting in the character of Christ. I write these things to you who are trusting in the character of Christ that you might know that you have eternal life. He says, I write these things to you not so that you'll think that you're, you're saved, not so that you'll, you'll hope that you're saved. I write these things to you so that you will know that you have eternal life. Did you know that it's God's heart that you will know that you're going to heaven when you die? It's God's desire that you will know that when you leave this life, you will enter into the presence of God and be accepted based 100% on the merits of Jesus Christ. Did you know that that is the heart of our God? It is not, it is not a wrong thing to take God at his word. It is a right thing to take God at his word. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. In other words, when you know that you have eternal life because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there is great confidence for living. There's great confidence for going to him in prayer, for asking of him, knowing that you have a heavenly father who cares. My, my, um, my challenge to you this morning, my call to you is to know the gospel, to know the full extent of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you, to believe and embrace that. And to know with confidence that based upon what Jesus Christ has done for you, you now have eternal life and you can now boldly and confidently live for him. Now we're going to take these elements and you're, you're familiar with them. If you've ever taken the communion of the Lord's Supper with us, we're going to take a, a, and eat a little wafer. We're going to drink a little cup of juice. These are representations of the, the body of Christ who was sacrificed for our sins and the blood of Jesus Christ that was poured out so that we might be sealed and secure. We might be sealed by Christ Jesus' blood like the new covenant is sealed for us the new promise that anybody who believes is saved. That's this covenant. We're going to take of it as a remembrance this morning, a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I encourage you, if you are a follower of Christ, if you have embraced him as your Lord and Savior, then you have all, you have all of the rights to take this. But if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've not embraced him as sufficient for your salvation, then then you, you don't have the rights to take it. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a rights to take this. It comes through our soul condition, our spiritual condition. So I want to pray over these elements, and then I'm going to invite you to come forward and take uh, uh, a cup of juice and a cup of a wafer and go back and sit down, and we'll partake of them together as a church body. Please pray with me. Father, we, th- we do thank you for the salvation that you have provided for us in Jesus Christ, a way, a means by which we can be restored into favor with you, a hope that we can live and walk with each day, knowing that Jesus Christ's blood is sufficient to seal us forever, that Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to pay the, the full ultimate price for our sins. We thank you for the wafer that we're going to take that represents the breaking of his body 
that it was, it was enough to cover all of our sins. It was the payment that was full. And then the blood, the cup that we'll partake of that represents the full seal, the, the eternal seal on the covenant that he has made with us that if we believe, we will be saved eternally. We must believe that covenant. We must embrace it. I thank you for these reminders, Lord. I pray your blessing upon them, that you'll be glorified and honored through the partaking of this, of this event, Lord God, that it would be glorifying to you. We'll give you the praise for it in Jesus Christ's name.